Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Professor John Nolan. In this episode, Dr. Nolan discusses how randomized controlled supplement trials can be used in preventing and treating macular degeneration and cognitive decline. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews, and please leave comments. So let's talk about the functions of the different ones, lutein, zeaxanthin, mesozeaxanthin. Uh, let's, let's start off with lutein. So the, the, the answer to that question, quite simply, is that the functions are, are uniquely similar for them. And this is what I say. When we talk about the magic formula or the best formula, it's a formula that has the composite of the tree, so the addition of the tree. So antioxidants, they're all antioxidants because of their, their abundance of double bonds along their, their chain. That's uniquely similar. The, the big difference in terms of mesozeaxanthin and lutein maybe, I believe, related to how it orientates itself within the retina. So mesozeaxanthin orientates itself parallel and perpendicular to light. So the capturing of light and therefore the reduction of photooxidation stress and light damage is optimized when mesozeaxanthin is there. So the, the, the functions are not very different. Yes, mesozeaxanthin is a powerful antioxidant. The big question really is, you know, is lutein on its own enough to supplement with, you know? Um, and what I would say to that question is, you know, my earlier studies began doing that. You know, I've done studies with 20 milligrams of lutein. The bottom line is the results we were getting were, were nowhere near what we're able to get now when we provide mesozeaxanthin as part of the formulation. So why is this? One idea in a typical scenario is that lutein can be converted to mesozeaxanthin, but we know that that's not the case in all patients. So for example, we know that about 12% of the healthy population are walking around with dips in their macular pigment. We, this has been shown by me initially in my initial work and then confirmed by many other laboratories across the world that we have this volcano-like profile. What's really interesting about that, Kerry, is that we, if we look at the anatomy studies, mesozeaxanthin is what's typically the center part of that mountain. So I hypothesized that the dips that we saw in patients was due to a deficiency of mesozeaxanthin. So then we performed an interventional study where we, in one group of people with the dips, gave lutein. We gave other people just mesozeaxanthin. And then we gave the third group the triple carotenoid intervention. Long story short, the only way to fix the dips in the macular pigment was to provide mesozeaxanthin but the entire enrichment was optimized when we provided the, the three parts of the jigsaw, lutein, zeaxanthin, and mesozeaxanthin. In this scenario, we enrich the pigment centrally and across the profile. And think about this for a second. If the objective of the exercise for an eye doctor or a healthcare professional is to make a recommendation for a patient to give them a supplement to enrich and fortify the macula with these nutrients, what this work shows us without any doubt is that you need to have the three carotenoids present to achieve that desired goal. Why would you not do it? 
Okay, and it was this work, if I'm to be very clear, that allowed me and my colleagues in Waterford design the Crest Protocol, where we went to the European government, okay? We wrote this major application called Crest. It was funded on, under what's called the European Research Council, and which is, it's the most prestigious grant a scientist in Europe can win. And remarkably, against all the odds, we went with our, our proposal, we got shortlisted. I remember going to the boardroom in, in Brussels to pitch this idea. And what I said to the board at the final interview review was that, look, we've identified a nutrient deficiency related to macular pigment, which was a deficiency of mesozeaxanthin. And what I claimed in my grant was that by conducting a major experiment with this, we can enrich the pigment centrally and across the pro profile, making vision better today. And we were gonna demonstrate that this was crucially important for patients with AMD. Early AMD was the Crest AMD study, which we did. So we told the government that we had identified something that was going to create a new standard of vision and help us with the world's leading cause of blindness. Thankfully, we won that grant. We conducted that experiment. And I'd like to make it very clear here. You know, you talked about Mexico. The formulation we used was from Mexico, a company called Industrial Organica. And that, that is the formulation uniquely used by MacuHealth. Okay. We picked that intervention, Kerry, on the back of 15 years of figuring out which intervention we wanted to do. It wasn't that we just wanted to use MacuHealth or just wanted to use lutein or mesozeaxanthin. I'm, I'm a scientist, but you probably get from me, I'm quite a competitive guy. I wanted to be right. And I had one chance within the context of this grant to answer the research question that we'd been all been discussing for many, many years. And I picked a formulation that had the three parts of the jigsaw. I picked the MacuHel formulation because for the first time ever, we had seen in the earlier studies, the central dip study and all the most studies that the results were simply better when you had three carotenoids versus the two carotenoids or versus one carotenoids. So I'd like kind of the listeners to understand that I'm not here saying mesozeaxanthin is the only thing you need. It's not. The macula believes that three carotenoids are important. Our interventions that we've used with the tree carotenoids has validated that concept. And this, this has worked, you know, and, and the only challenge now is education, uh, safe education and dissemination. And I say safe education because, you know, it's really important that optometrists are not misled um, based on commercial interests, based on storytelling from key opinion leaders. And I understand it's really difficult for optometrists, right? Because there's so much information. There's so many white papers that float around marketing material. What I would say to optometrists and patients alike that have an interest in this is live in a world of peer-reviewed science led by the peer-reviewed, by the scientists that have conducted that work. So, so what I'm saying quite simply is just because someone gives a COPE lecture that makes reference to a study or a series of studies and are they really communicating the message correctly? That's really important. The saddest thing that I've seen, if I'm to be, take the opportunity to be honest with you here, is the misuse of science. At one level, I talk about the situation, the necessity to live in a world of peer-reviewed science. First, do no harm, live in the peer-reviewed science, evidence-based research. If you do that, you're gonna be a good doctor. But we need to now, I think, within this industry, be very clear on the accuracy of the levels of communication 
to your industry because it's too difficult. It's unfair. It's unsafe for doctors to be given the wrong information because it just contaminates the message. And we don't need to overcomplicate that message. It's quite simple. How can patients know if they have a dip? They're the ones that have a dip as the first question. The yeah. second question is, we know, we know we need the triple carotenoids in the retina and the macula. Maybe there's other parts of the body that need it as well, and they can't convert the, uh, the carotenoids, you know, with blood vessels or the heart or other places. You know, uh, low carotenoids have been associated with cardiovascular disease, yeah. cancer, uh, atherosclerosis. How do we know? How does a person know that you know they they're a dipper? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's very difficult. And and if I may, I'll spend a minute just explaining the kind of a, the evolution of science around the measurement because you're, you're, it's a brilliant point you bring up. You know, you know when I did my early work and Jim Stringham and Randy Hammond and others, um, we typically measured macular pigment using psychophysics, um, flicker photometry, so flicker device, and you've probably heard and seen and seen these. The problem with those devices is apart from the standardization and the variation and all these challenges that you get with them, even if you do it right in the clinic, these flicker devices, you're only measuring on one part of the curve. You're only measuring on one point of your mountain. So you could have a, a measurement here that's, so maybe this is my measurement and I'm measuring here and maybe you're a dipper, Kerry, and I'm measuring here, I'm getting the same score, but you don't see that there's a dip. So. The answer to your question is that currently, unfortunately, in the clinic setting, there is no way to identify the dipper, in my view, accurately, at least. And this takes us to where the new science is relating to uh, image-based um, uh, measurements. So, for example, I use um, a beautiful device from Heidelberg Engineering, um, the Spectralis OCT, which you'll be familiar with. Now, this has been uniquely modified for me in the research setting. We did it as part of Crest, in fact, to do dual wavelength autofluorescence. In that situation, we can measure all types of profiles, dips, you know, atypical profiles, normal profiles. So it's something that will come as part of standard OCT, Kerry, um, and it'll come relatively soon. It'll be part of what you do when you do OCT. It will be available. I know Heidelberg are committed to that. Um, and it's a brilliant program that they're running to get it right. It needs to happen uh, hopefully soon. But today, you're, and hopefully I can answer your question, your patients and the society and the general individual won't be able to find out whether they're a dipper. But what we can do is draw on the science. So dippers are typically, you know, people that have a family history, uh, that older section of the population, um, cigarette family smokers. History, family history of macular degeneration. Of macular degeneration, sorry, yeah, a family history of macular. So that's what our work showed. They were, that when we char characterize the individuals, those risk factors equals the dippers. And, and that was really the groundbreaking thing about that, because not only had we identified that dippers exist, it was remarkable that they were the exact people at the greatest risk of the disease. And remember, the only way we could fix that, Kerry, was with the triple carotenoid intervention. Um, and that was probably the most um, groundbreaking study in the, in, the con in, in the work I've done in the context of macular pigment. Now, how can carotenoids help people that have good vision to make it even better, seeing better at night, to adapt to 
to adapt when you're going in from a dark room to a light room or vice versa, help you with your computer vision, uh, even a baseball player to be able to see the ball better with temporal processing speed, even driving better. How, what are the studies on that? I know Jim Stringham, who we had on the program, and if, if people are interested, they can go and listen to my interview with Jim Stringham. Explain a little bit about that. Yeah, Jim and Jim is Jim Stringham is an amazing vision scientist, it, and I, I I had the great fortune of collaborating and working with Jim on, on many projects, um, and you know you are right that the, the opportunity around these nutrients and the opportunity around enriching the macular pigment extends way beyond that of just trying to help people with macular degeneration, and it is cor correlated to this high performance vision related activity. So. It goes back to something we've already discussed, Kerry, and that is if we enrich the pigment, which we can now safely do with targeted triple carotenoid intervention, we can make the retina work better. So the first thing is cleaning up the signal to noise piece. That's going to make a massive difference to the performance. Okay. It's going to reduce the blue light. It's going to reduce the light scatter. It's going to give you less issues um, with glare, you know, glare disabilities. And uh, we look at baseball. I know you're a big baseball fan. You look, you look at the impact there on, on, on vision-related performance. But it's actually fascinating that it's not just vision there. Now we're moving into the cognitive function space, the cognitive abilities, because the, the baseball, um, you know, it, you don't hit the baseball based on your visual activities. Actually, your, your vision cognitive activities, because you don't see it. It's moving too quickly. So it's a cognitive reaction to that. Um, so... It has a massive uh, role to play there. And I know there's a lot of really good work being done at the moment with various sporting industries across the US who are successfully implementing um, the carotenoids um, to enhance the, the, the vision-related performance um, of their athletes. And, and Jim Stringham, to go back to his work, he's done work, for example, um, with uh, NASA. And, and, and various military organizations around um, how these nutrients can be used to enhance the health and function of the eyes in, in those performances. Um, it's really down to how we measure it though, right? And this has, I wanna say this because this has an impact, not just for sports, but for all of the patients that come into your clinic. I would, in, I would encourage optometry to now start thinking about how we measure vision in the clinic setting, accepting, the challenge of time and accepting the world of COVID and, and everything that goes with that. But what I will say is that, you know, if we started to measure vision at, 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 at a more sensitive level by bringing in measures of contrast sensitivity, regardless of whether we're talking about healthy patients or patients with retinal disease, we are going to be able to understand vision of our patients at a, at a, at a super sensitive level. And thereafter, you'll be able to measure and see the benefits for, for your patients. And remember, let's go back to AMD for a second. You measure acuities in AMD, they're gonna have, have to have a very sick retina before the acuities actually fall off. But if we measure contrast, you see retinal diseases, not just AMD, diabetic retinopathy, all these things much, much quicker when we're doing business with visual functions like um, contrast sensitivity. And you also mentioned other measures such as dark adaptation, for example, which is an indicator of, of, of function. Of course, that's related to macular degeneration. And we know that these pigments are uniquely placed and uniquely correlated 
to those measures of uh, visual functions. So it extends across the populations that come into your clinic. You mentioned scatter before. That makes me think of the study that Stringham did with being comfortable on a computer, computer comfort. If you could make yeah. a comment about that. Yeah, thank you. So there's a, there's a misconception around light, okay? Couple of things. Um, sunlight has the most blue light, okay? We need to know that, we need to accept that, fine. However, although our iPads and our computer screens and, and everything that goes with that in today's world of social media contain much, much, much less blue light, they still contain blue light. And when you look at the duration of exposure from these devices, now we have a problem. And I only look at my own family. I, Penny, my little girl is uh, six, seven this September. 9-11 actually, she's seven. And I look at B, uh, who's two, both of those kids, whether it's for their school now, homeschool, or whether it's for their online learning, or whether it's for their social entertainment, it's far too much exposure on these devices, you know? So I believe that these nutrients, I've, we spoke today about macular degeneration, we've spoken about sports performance and the general population. Actually, the research and the opportunity should and needs to extend way earlier in the equation. A couple of things that are fascinating. We spoke about oxidative stress today, right? Which is basically just, you know, free radicals, you know, destroying the cells of vision. The retina has more oxidative stress than any other tissue in the body, but a developing retina has three times more oxidative stress than even your retina or my retina today, okay? So as the retina and the brain is developing, the levels of oxidative damage are fundamentally um, uh, damaging to our problematic, if you like, to such developments. And I believe have a major impact in the future. What happens in our, in our infants determines what happens in the future. Now step back into our discussion about nutrition, right? Are our kids getting enough of these carotenoids within basic nutrition? No. Nature wants us to have them. Let's look at colostrum, breast milk. It's fortified with high amounts of these carotenoids. Why is nature doing that? So I think this is, in terms of the future research I want to do, definitely, you mentioned it, right? Um, atherosclerosis, inflammation, that's definitely something that, that we're going to really do. Um, but I also think prenatal, I also, and I think of pair, I think of mothers, you know, the recent work, and we've seen um, Lisa's work, um, which has shown that um, mothers become so deprived of carotenoids throughout their pregnancy. Why? Because they're protecting their baby. They're developing baby. They're giving all the good nutrition. So these nutrients are just, I, I wrote an article recently, a white paper, but I called it from the cradle to the dance floor. And I really think that's the playground of where these nutrients can and should um, be utilized safely. Yeah, there, there wouldn't be carotenoids in breast milk and fats in breast milk uh, of humans that didn't need it, that we would have oatmeal in breast milk. So that's what it would <laughs> yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. So we know that the, the body needs these proteins and these fats for, to, for, uh, for a baby to develop. Now let's talk about the uh, macular pigment, go back as a biomarker. What we, something we didn't talk about is diabetes. How can we use it as a biomarker for diabetes? Well, di it's, not, it's not necessarily a, a biomarker for diabetes. What, what the data I'm familiar with is 
is why it's important to diabetic retinopathy. And so, so there's work done out of Moorfields. Actually, they use the, the triple carotenoid intervention as well, the Macuelt intervention in their experiment. And um, they found, of course, with diabetic retinopathy, a lot of the symptoms of, 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 of visual insults, such as um, glare disabilities and um, all, all these stressors related to, to this disease, um, they were able to reduce those symptoms um, with intervention with, with, with the carotenoids. Um, I've no data to suggest that patients with diabetes, um, you know, have a problem in terms of a deficiency in intake, but I would imagine based on the adiposity studies that we, that we know that, you know, the, if you like fats are a, 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 you know, body fat is a competitor to the retina and the brain for accumulation of these pigments. So at a basic level, you know, look at it, that the fats are a reservoir and the more fat you have, you have to fill those up. So you're going to need much more carotenoids to help. So that, that, that's quite interesting. But, in, but in diabetics do have lower macular pigment. Well, some studies have shown that they have lower macular pigment and, and it's probably for that reason. Yes. So someone asked me another question from one of our colleagues is what are your top food recommendations? We know that's been some studies with eggs, people that eat eggs have a lower risk of macular degeneration. Even oranges uh, have shown to have a lower risk of macular degeneration. Any top food recommendations that you have uh, that you would want to share? Absolutely. It's, for me, it's eggs all day long. The egg is a, is a brilliant vehicle. Not only that it concentrates the carotenoids because particularly like with free range hens, for example, that are allowed to eat um, uh, in, in natural environments, you're going to have beautiful egg yolks there, but it's the fats in the eggs, okay, um, that are uniquely um, allow us to deliver these carotenoids. Uh, so it enhances the bioavailability, basically, with the eggs. I also think um, sweet, all the corn, we've just finished a, a, a brilliant experiment, it's under review at the moment, out of Mexico, Okay, where so we measured macular pigment in Morelos, a place in, in Mexico City. And in that experiment, um, it was quite interesting that although the dietary estimates um, of carotenoid intake were lower in the Mexican population compared to Western society, their macular pigments was nearly, was nearly double. So why is that? You have to then look back to the foods that this population were eating. And it was, it was uh, egg protein dominated um, foods that they were consuming. And of course, um, the, the beautiful corn uh, related products of Mexico, the tortillas, for example, et cetera. So the, not only were they getting those carotenoids, the bioavailability was greatly enhanced. And you know, we ran, I only looked at it the other day, we ran this study um, on the back of my European project, the BBC, it's actually on my website, a seven minute documentary from, it's called Trust Me, I'm a Doctor. So it's, it's kind of like your, um, I don't know, is it equivalent to maybe the Dr. Oz thing where this expert looks at uh, nutrition and so on. So the idea was that they wanted to, they saw the Crest study, they found it very, very impactful. So the BBC said they'd like to uh, visit our facilities and compare um, a, a smoothie intervention to a, uh, we use MacuHealth as, as the supplement. So the presenter, Dr. Michael Mosley is his name, he went on MacuHealth, okay? And then the we had all these volunteers that Liz Johnson helped me with this. She created a really uh, lutein-rich smoothie. I think we got over 12 milligrams of lutein into one smoothie. 
it wasn't very nice to be honest to taste but nonetheless these poor these poor patients went on this smoothie for many weeks and um so we increased the lutein levels in their blood on the smoothie but comparing it to the supplement we couldn't get anywhere near the response that we could get with that one supplement today so uh, the conclusion from Dr. Michael Mosley was interesting. He said, I'm not normally a fan of supplements, he said. That, but he said, but in this case, I absolutely see a reason where the supplements have a role to play. And I would agree with his conclusion. And by the way, he had problems with his vision, particularly night vision, right? Um, and because he, he, he traveled a lot and he, he particularly found the driving at night being a problem. And we worked with um, a professor, John Barber, out of City University, London, where he did all these brilliant measures of visual function for us on Dr. Mosley. And um, remarkably, we, we blew it out of the charts in terms of what we could improve with the supplement for Dr. Mosley. So he's, um, I believe he's stayed on it ever since. He's been a big fan. Yeah, that was Stringham's research that you could improve night vision. You can improve no, that's right. sensitivity to light. Uh, yeah. what we call photophobia. We talked a little bit about absorbing the nutrients before the, the carotenoids. Now, there's been studies that show that the more, uh, the more carotenoids that are in the serum, the lower the risk of cataracts and macular degeneration compared to when you're just eating it. So it's really what that says to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you absorb it better, you're going to get a better. You're going to get a better outcome, and you just did this this uh, work with these with these little uh, these little micro micro uh, yeah. seals to, to be able to transport the lutein and zeaxanthin, the coast the coast study that we talked about. But I find that really interesting about how if there's if you could get it into the serum, you could decrease the. Uh, you could decrease cataracts and macular degeneration far better than just eating it. And I was wondering if you had a comment about that. Yeah, so it goes back to your, your earlier question of how do we get these carotenoids? And remember, I explained that we take them from the marigold, we cook them with, they're saponified. And typically when you purify them, what you do with the carotenoids is you break off the big fatty esters. The problem with that is that every typical carotenoid intervention that's out there they may have purified lutein or zeaxanthin, right? Or mesozeaxanthin, but they'll join together and they'll form crystals because of their polarity. They basically line up like soldiers, okay? And if they're big crystals when they're in the supplement carry, it's difficult for them to be packaged into their transporters, their micromycelles, and it's difficult for them to be captured by the SRB1, the capture protein, okay, in the intestinal wall. So essentially what this experiment did was quite unique. The process of extracting was done pretty much the same, but they allowed the esters, little esters, we call as diacetates, stay on the end. So what's naturally in the plant, instead of having big esters, they had small ones. What that did was it changed the polarity ever so slightly, and it allowed these carotenoids be much more soluble within our stomach, and therefore much more available. The second piece of the technology was that actually within the formulation itself, the ingredients that are required to form these micro packages was provided in the supplement. So you're providing a ready-made, you know, pile of ingredients, if you like, to allow for an enhanced bioavailability. It's still from the marigold, it's still purified, it's still natural, but we've greatly enhanced the bioavailability. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. We've spent 10 years working with you know, the triple carotenoids with so much success, 
Remember, we came from a world of lutein interventions with 20% non-response. Then we moved to a world of the triple carotenoids where we could get everyone to respond at least to a degree. And now we're moving to a stage where we've been able to even enhance the bioavailability of that significant, six times more for mesozeaxanthin, for example, in the blood. And the logic to go to your, your question here is that, of course, if you enrich um, the biological systems with these carotenoids and thereafter fortify the tissues at a, at a much higher concentration than was previously possible, you're going to have a better result because you're going to have healthier tissues. You're going to have better antioxidant capacity. You're going to have better optical capacity. And now the results are even more striking for the future. You did a study that was really eye-opening for me. Uh, our film, Open Your Eyes, but this was really eye-opening is that you measured different supplements to see if what they said on the label was actually in the supplement. And quite frankly, that, that study was uh, very scary. And if you could talk a little bit about that, you know, from yeah, a practitioner's point of view, because somebody goes into a, ph a pharmacy, a local pharmacy, and they think they're buying a carotenoid and, you know, and when measuring macular pigment, we're not seeing it at elevate, people are getting a false sense of security. Talk about that. Yeah, it goes back to what I said about assumptions, you know, in science or in the clinic, making assumptions it, it can be very problematic. In this case, an assumption that all formulations are the same is absolutely um, not, not a correct or a safe assumption. And the very simple reason behind this, by the way, you know, how one extracts the carotenoids from the marigold and thereafter formulate. So do you formulate them in a way that they're protected from oxidation? Are they in a capsule that protects them from light and oxygen? Are they protected in the appropriate oils where they can be um, soluble, but also reduce from oxidative damage. You know, in, if you take a, a carotenoid and, and, and produce it, and it's typically produced like a powder, and if you put that powder into a capsule, within six months, the activity of that carotenoid will be almost zero. So when we looked at this study, and uh, Alfonso published it, um, and David Phelan was another scientist that worked on it at our center, um, what they discovered was that, you know, over 80% of the supplements that are commercially available did not meet the label claim. So in other words, they were degrading. Some of them had no activity. So that's why, you know, it's really important that the doctor takes control of the conversation, takes responsibility for it, if you like. When I go to my doctor, I'd like he or she to tell me what to do. So I'm going to get the best results. And I think it's the exact same case here with respect to supplementation, because, you know, the supplements that you get on the high street that do not have that stability worked on, um, safety worked on or efficacy worked on, we can't be sure that that's the right supplement for our patients to benefit from. And I heard a very nice expression um, the only recently, the most expensive supplement you'll buy is the one that doesn't work. So I think if our studies show anything in, in terms of that stability, and I will tell you, by the way, um, you know, I work, as you know, at the Waterford Institute of Technology, and um, we're, we're very proud of this work. And so much so that the Institute is now um, launching um, its own department to, to, to function, to just measure these carotenoids for stability for industries. It's called Supplement Certified. And this is something that the Institute and I will be promoting um, 
in a couple of months time from now we'll be promoting it some companies already um um have their supplements tested and it's not only testing them at the beginning Kerry you know you look at these supplements that can be on a shelf are they there for two years or three years are they stable at three years is the patient getting the value then and unless the the organization the company invests in that type of quality um we can't be sure for our patients and I thought it was remarkable only last week I'm not sure if you saw it Amazon actually announced a major cleanup um, of the, the supplements that are available on Amazon, where they're going to now insist upon, I believe, you know, validated third party um, uh, analysis to validate and verify uh, supplements for safety, efficacy and for stability. So I think supplement certified will be something that would play a major role in the future for the eye care industry, you know. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. Thank you for tuning in to the Open Your Eyes podcast. If you like the video you're watching, please hit the like button. Also hit subscribe for weekly new episodes of the podcast along with pod winks and bonus content. All right, let's get back to the show. Contrast sensitivity and loss of being able to see at night are some early symptoms of when wet macula, when dry macula degenerates starts convert to wet macula degeneration or macula degeneration in general. You did a study called the MOST study, which showed, which you used contrast sensitivity, but it also talked about how fast somebody could raise their macular pigment by taking supplementation. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so the MOST studies were important. And the main and the major learning from the MOST studies were that, you know, even with good supplementation, Kerry, and with the three carotenoids, what, what doctors need to know and what patients need to understand is that this is a lifestyle change, okay? It's not something that you're like an antibiotic or something that you're gonna take and get the result a few days later. If you wanna do well with nutrition and the biology connected to that, it's something that you have to comply with. It's like being good at sport. You know, it's a lifestyle change. You have to absolutely commit to it. And you know, I believe that patients that are at risk of macular degeneration um, or just really wanna do well with their vision, they need to make the decision that this is something they're going to com comply to, you know, over their life. Um, and particularly with macular degeneration, it's a no brainer. They, they have to do it. In terms of the contrast sensitivity, what we demonstrated was that, you know, typically, look, you remember that your contrast sensitivity curve gives us an entire spectrum of vision. Acuities are only 9% of our spatial visual world. Contrast sensitivity tells us everything else that's going on. Just look around our rooms. There's nothing 100% contrast, okay? So therefore, if you want to measure vision, you know, contrast sensitivity is a great way to do this, even in a world of optimal refraction. So yes, you're right. Typically what happens with macular degeneration is contrast sensitivity is the first measure of function to fall off. In the most study, we demonstrated significant improvements in contrast sensitivity at six months, but at three years into the intervention, the improvements were significantly better than 12 months or 24 months. So the message from the most studies was that sustained supplementation was absolutely required if one was to get the benefit. Let's talk about carotenoids and cataracts. There's been a number of studies that show that carotenoids can decrease the progression of cataracts. 
If you could speak to the, that study, those studies. I'm interested in carotenoids and cataracts for a couple of reasons. One, to answer your question, um, of course, one of the reasons why the lens oxid it, it develops cataract is because of oxidative stress. Okay, it's at the front of the eye. So that's where that data comes from. My interest, however, around cataracts and carotenoids should also be of great interest to optometry. And let me tell you why. Um, when you take out a cataract, what you're taking out is the body's natural filtration system against blue light. So if you think of it in the context of a 60-year-old or 70-year-old uh, retina, where for the last 20 or 30 years, they've had the value of um, growing cataract by reducing the amount of light getting to the back of the eye. In some ways, that's good because it's protecting the retina. So if we just take out the cataract and replace it with a UV, a UV lens, that patient is now going to be vulnerable because they're going to have much more visible light now hitting the retina and peaking in terms of the damage that it's going to do. And there's a couple of really interesting things about this. One, we know that cataract extraction itself is a risk factor for age-related macular degeneration. And that's something that we should be alerted to and cognizant of. And the other thing is that we know that because of all this extra blue light hitting the macula, the patient, while they get better visual acuity and so on, there are other measures of visual function, such as issues with glares or halos may be greatly affected. So the, the learning from all of this is that if we want to make sure that we give the best protection and maintenance to the retina in a world after cataract, I would absolutely recommend um, a triple carotenoid intervention, uh, ideally months before the cataract is taking out so that the patient can build up their protection at the back of the eye. This achieves two things. One, it gives them better um, protection against the, the new lights, if you like, that are gonna be hitting the macula, but also it's going to give them the best outcomes in terms of their visual functions and their visual performances. And I think this is also um, the case with uh, advanced macular degeneration. While the treatment of advanced macular degeneration is something that um, is, I suppose, if you like a great success of modern time, you know, helping the retinas with nutrition in the context of cataracts and macular degeneration is, is something that I think is a missed opportunity you know, it's in Germany, for example, with cataract, um, when patients are scheduled for surgery, they're given a carotenoid intervention as part of their maintenance regime, um, their protection regime throughout that time. How about vitamin D? Any research on vitamin D and macular degeneration? Not that it's not my area, Kerry. It's not my, it's not something that I have um, know a lot about, to, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, I live in a world of carotenoids. I've obviously done a lot um, recently with the omega-3 fatty acids. I'm interested in cognitive function, brain health, and I think DHA is um, really important there. In terms of the other antioxidants, zinc, you know, uh, this whole confusion around zinc in, in America, optometry is, is, is striking. What I will say to you is, you know, I think you can get enough zinc quite simply from, you know, uh, good nutrition. If ophthalmology is putting pressure on you to do zinc, please make sure that it's, it's, it's very, very low zinc because zinc at high levels can be toxic. And I don't think you need to do genetic testing or anything of the sorts. You know, the, 
the formulation of nutrition for the macula is very simple. There's three carotenoids living there. That's where you should do business. If, if ophthalmology insists on a recommendation that's kind of like uh, zinc and arids like, make sure that it's better, that it has the meso, but make sure it's safer with, with low, if any, zinc. So let's end with uh, uh, cognitive function and carotenoids and, and cognitive function. I know there's a lot of research around that. Uh, Lisa Renzi's doing some, you're doing some. Tell us where we are with carotenoids, uh, uh, cognitive function, uh, testing macular pigment and how we could use it maybe as a biomarker and in the brain and maybe the spinal cord as well, what carotenoids are located, where, what, what, which carotenoids are located there? Okay. Great. So a couple of key um, papers that have been published maybe over the last eight or nine years. Okay. Um, and some of these were ha happening in parallel. In our first major study, 5,000 people randomly selected from the Republic of Ireland as part of the TILDA project, the Irish Longitudinal Study on Aging. And I was working uh, with colleagues on that study in terms of the eye-related eye research interests. So we were measuring macular pigment. We actually, and in that context, we did it with a flicker device, okay? We did OCT, we did fundus photography. And at the same time, there was a, a scientist measuring cognitive functions in the same population. Uh, memory, attention, reaction time. This was a scientist called Joanne Feeney. So we published all our macular pigment work, which was striking. And then we, we realized, because at the same time, Liz Johnson was after shown that actually retinal carotenoid concentration macular pigment was a biomarker of brain carotenoid concentration. So we said, wow, let's have a look at this. And we did, and we saw really powerful data. In short, we saw that the people in the population that scored really well in their carotenoid score had brilliant cognitive performance, whereas those with low macular carotenoid score, low macular pigment had really poor cognitive performance. So then we were really interested and we, as part of our CREST trials, we were actually implementing all these sophisticated assessments of cognitive function, attention, memory, reaction time, and so on. And remarkably, in addition to the benefits that CREST showed for visual function in the general population, when we looked at our cognitive measures in a young, healthy, non-demented individual, by simply supplementing with the three carotenoids, we were able to greatly enhance their cognitive abilities. And then we said, okay, this is really, really important. We need to look further here. We started our exercise, the, the CARDS experiment, which was funded by um, uh, the Heart Foundation. Um, this is a, a UK foundation. Um, and we conducted an experiment in patients with Alzheimer's disease. And this was the first time ever that anyone measured macular pigment in that population. And we saw unbelievable data whereby their macular pigments was almost on the floor, non-existent. Their visual function measures were all over the place. And then we, we supplemented them in another experiment and we were able to rebuild the pigments, enhance their vision. And in the latest experiments, um, the, the care studies and now the Remind, the, the, me, um, the memory intervention with nutrition for dementia trials, we've been able to demonstrate remarkably improvements in quality of life in patients with Alzheimer's disease. This summer, we will have the data coming from a major two-year interventional trial in patients with Alzheimer's disease because we wanted to go back and add very detailed measures of cognitive function to this research question. And we did so in the context of, um, 
of the remind trial. So, I mean, a whistle tour of knowledge here, right? But what I will say about the, the, the cognitive functions that we certainly know that in, when, when an eye doctor makes a recommendation to help the retina, that he or she is also helping the brain. And as you alluded to earlier in our discussion, it's probably even beyond that when we look at liver, cardiovascular, you know, atherosclerosis, we're at the tip of the iceberg. But let's live in a world of evidence-based science. Right now, the recommendation has to be about three carotenoids for vision. Okay, I'm very forceful on that because the work is done, the gap is education and true knowledge in that area. Um, we're also very confident that we're helping brain functions and retinal health. In addition to antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, Kerry, we're probably looking at gap junction facilitation, signaling benefits. This has all been discussed very nicely by Liz and, and, and Lisa, Jim, myself and others in, in, in our field of research. So I think we're at the tip of the iceberg there in terms of what we know. Um, it's some, I'm motivated by this, that the, I will say, that as exciting as this is for, for eye care, the data that's coming on cognitive functions um, is, is, is super impressive as well. Um, so, you know, we're doing really good with this. The simplicity of the recommendation around carotenoids take value from the science. You know, I, what I would say to eye care is, remember, you're the people that measure vision. So do that, do it well draw on the knowledge of the of the macular pigment work from the scientists so what i'm saying politely is you don't have the tools to measure macular pigment today but accept the science that has shown you how to do it but what you can do and what you should do is measure visual functions in a way that you maybe didn't before that would be a recommendation i would make and if you do well with nutrition lifestyle optimization for your patients you will measure and see the benefits of visual functions for your patient cohort. It will enhance your patient quality of life. Um, it, will, it will enhance their visual functions. It'll give you better practice. And it's, it's, it's just really, really the right thing to do. When you say visual function, you're talking about contrast sensitivity. Well, this is one measure I, I do. I, it's, look, Kerry, it's the primary outcome measure in all our trials. Why? Because I think, just like I said earlier, it's going to give me the best chance of being right with my research question. And it's no different for the clinic. People watching this want to know the dose. Uh, so we talked about the carotenoids, uh, the typical dose, maybe 10 milligrams lutein, 10 milligrams, uh, mesozeaxanthin, two milligrams, uh, zeaxanthin, but what dose are you using in your studies for cognition, for macular degeneration? And I've heard Michael Tolentino talk about when he's increased the dose and he's up yeah. the dose to decrease, to try to decrease progression. Do you have a comment about dose? Dose is important. I do think that, so I don't think that moving from 10 milligrams of lutein to 20 is beneficial. In fact, my data shows me it's not, but the best results I've got when I have a dose of the three carotenoids, the 10 milligrams of meso, the 10 milligrams of lutein and two milligrams of zeaxanthin. Um, that was the formulation that gave me the best results. I would also say in terms of dose that, you know, while there may be case uh, reports showing in some ophthalmologists that double the dose, it's kind of a medicine thing, a loading effect, if you like. I can say that the science that I've seen or conducted backs that logic up. In fact, I think that we've hit the jackpot in terms of dose when we look at our bioavailability studies and understanding the, the benefits. You know, I moved from a 10 milligrams of mesozeaxanthin in one study to 17. I didn't get a better outcome. 
So what you do in those, those response experiments is come right back because what you don't want to do is damage the, the biological systems in terms of absorption or competition. And I've seen some discussions around dose. I've seen some um, crazy allegations about my science actually relating to Crest saying that mesozeaxanthin resulted in a bad dose response of the other carotenoids. That's just not the case. You know, the, the optimal dose, the combination of the three, when you look at total carotenoid response is optimal when they're there. Um, you know, in the Crest AMD study, for example, the, the group that were given the triple carotenoid, their improvement in zeaxanthin in that group was over 100% from baseline. So how anyone could conclude that, you know, lutein or mesozeaxanthin as part of that intervention had a negative impact on zeaxanthin, it's just, it's bizarre. Um, so the dose is important. The science has been done left-hand side and right-hand side of the 10-10-2. And it, I do believe around 20, 22 milligrams is, is where the best out, outputs have been. And for that reason, Kerry, that's what I use in my experiments for AMD. That's what I use in my experiments um, for visual function and particularly in visual function because the simplicity of it. For Alzheimer's disease and cognition, um, we, we use um, those carotenoids in combination with high DHA, um, DHA and vitamin E um, I'm interested in for brain health. Um, and this has been actually, we've had some very exploratory work. Now that science is growing, but other researchers now, um, there was a meta-analysis conducted recently that, um, that included our work in it in terms of cognitive function. So it, it is very clear the path forward that the recommendations around the the carotenoids and supplementation is not just going to beneficial the eyes. It's we're doing really well for human function, human wellness, brain health. But we ha we have more to do, and we will do it. Talk about your opinion on uh, omega threes, DHA, EPA. Where does it fit in with macular degeneration to decrease progression? And same with cognition. Okay, so yeah, so the big study, of course, which your your doctors will will be familiar with, maybe was the ARID study and ARIDS two concluded that, you know, the omegas, um, the omega formulation they used had no benefit in that experiment. That just like we spoke about quality of formulation and ingredients with, with respect to carotenoids, the same stands up for the omega-3 fatty acids. Um, I've really only got to focus on, carry the, the, um, the high DHA for, for um, uh, uh, not for macular degeneration, but for Alzheimer's disease. The logic there is, of course, the, the photoreceptors are, are com comprised of DHA, um, the phospholipids, DHA is a major component. So in, in a retina that's highly vulnerable to oxidative stress, maybe re replenishing them um, is a good thing to do. When you do that is the question. I would, you know, again, I would go back to, I do believe good lifestyle, good nutrition and, and sourcing those type of um, nutrients from nutrition would be my preferred choice. Um, unless you're at an extreme stage where you have, you know, uh, Alzheimer's disease, for example, well, then you have to try everything with, with supplementation. And in that case, a high DHA would be what I'd recommend. There's new research that it, uh, that's emerging on how the eye could be used as an er to help early diagnose Alzheimer's, that the OCT is starting to show findings that, that's right. that, that are imaging is showing findings. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I, I know a little bit about it. I, the first report of that was actually some, from work done in Australia, if I'm right. And then it was, it was shown again out of um, North America. 
and yes, yeah, so essentially that the with with the high imaging, high resolution imaging, you can start to see changes uh, equivalent to drusen um, in the retina that um, they've correlated with with tangles and plaques in in Alzheimer's disease. Um, so again, it's logical that this is the case. I mean, the, one of the first questions you asked me is, you know, is the retina the part of the brain? It is. It's the seeing part of the brain. So you know, we we should complement, by the way, um, the industries like Heidelberg and so on that have been able to just make their imaging technology super sensitive to allow eye doctors do what they do. But I think the future in this is, as you suggest, you know, pathways to understanding, you know, really traumatic diseases like Alzheimer's and maybe early detection using the, the eye as this window to everything else um, is, is something that, that that's really exciting for the future. And my last question I want to I want to ask you is to help the moms out there uh, that the, these carotenoids could help with reading speed. There's been for their kids. There's been some studies to show that. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean we we've we've shown that memory, not in kids. Memory. Yeah, yeah, and and memory. Yeah, we've shown it in um in AMD actually. One of the positive outcomes in our Crest trial was reading speed was 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 greatly enhanced i think it's probably not connected to the visual vision related uh, performance it's probably back to the to the brain again and, and the cognitive functions and you know to to say again you know the interest that we have in terms of you know just think about our developing brain and think about the the vulnerabilities of that and the challenges of that and add to that now this new world of new exposures and add to that this new world of like suboptimal nutrition. You know, how are we going to get this right? And I'm committed to to work, you know, not beyond that of supplements, by the way. I'm doing work with the Irish dairy industry at the moment to really make carotenoids part of um, dairy ingredients. It's called the Vista Milk Project um, that we're working on. Because I think really, you know, uh, Penny, my little girl, is waiting for, you know, uh, Matthew Health to produce uh, their their next product for kids and I know um you know this is something that's going to come she and I'll happily she she actually takes MacuHealth sometimes when we're taking it um her mom and I take it every morning at breakfast and she takes it. there's nothing safer we can do um what I would say to the moms uh is you know there's no clear evidence that you know beyond the very good nutrition and, and what 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 expecting mothers should do in terms of folic acid and so on. Um, I would look at the work done in, in, in carotenoid-related research um, and the logic as to why we can really help mums um, during this time um, and support them in a way that they're not going to help their own uh, systems, but provide for their, their, their kids. Um, I think that, that that's really, really important. I would also say to mums that it's impossible to think that you can do enough with nutrition. I say this as a as a as a father of, of two young girls and as a you know professor of nutrition, right? You know, it's tough, it's difficult, it's not easy. We can't neglect the responsibility to the nutrition. Um, you know, ice cream and so on forms a big part of, of dinner time at our house, you know, once the vegetables are consumed. But I do think that we'll have to identify ways for the future for our kids you know, to deal with all, all these challenges that, that, that we have. And I think, look, we started this discussion by me saying to you, 
I really, really believe that optometry, and particularly in North America, you're leading the way, has a responsibility now to be the front line of what we do here to prepare a world for a new standard of vision, but to prepare a world that has a growing population, that has an aging population, that has all these vision-related challenges, you, you hold the key to, to, to the kingdom in this regard. You know, honestly, ophthalmology is not going to get there in my lifetime, where they're going to have the time or the interest or the motivation. And I, I don't want to be unfair to ophthalmologists that do this, because there's some ophthalmologists that do embrace this, but most of them don't and won't. And, you know, I, I empower the optometrist to say, you know, I'm a doctor and I'm going to do this because I'm really qualified and I understand the science and I understand the works. And of course, we don't have all the answers, but we really have enough answers now to make a difference. And the question is, are you going to be the doctor that makes a difference? My last question, since you opened the door. What do you feed your kids? Because I know if I don't ask that question, people are going to say, how come you didn't ask them that question? So what do you feed your little girls uh, to help their brain, to help their eyes? Eggs. Or what, do, or what supplements do you give them? I, well, they don't take supplements. I, um, at the moment, Penny will, will sometimes take uh, the Macquarie supplement when we're taking them. Eggs is a big deal for us in this house. I, I, we have eggs a couple of times a week. Um, they like... Uh, corn products typically uh b who's two you know she'll have her dinner and uh we use frozen sweet corn actually it's very very use high nutritional use organic yeah it's organic but it's frozen and, and you cook it from frozen and we've measured this in the lab actually and the carotenoid content of frozen vegetables some of them that are prepared well like that are higher caliber than those that are sitting in in the supermarkets for many weeks so i would say if i was to pick two things it would be eggs and sweet corn well, I want to thank Professor Nolan for joining me today. Is there anything I left out that you want to say to the, to the audience that's watching? No, I'd like to congratulate the audience for taking the time to kind of embrace this type of discussion. I'd like them to have confidence, Kerry, that there's been a lot of work done. And the challenge now, as I said, is education, dissemination, but utilization. We need to use the science now. Um, understand, you know, I would, I'm glad you brought up in our discussion the importance of knowing the supplement and that they're not all the same. And that's not me trying to promote any one supplement over the other. I, as a scientist, pick MacuHealth because I wanted to answer a research question. And I think the data is just really impressive in that regard. And I'd like you to understand when you do business with just the macular carotenoids, we have so much safety data, data now, longitudinal safety data in humans. You can, you're uniquely placed to do something that's impactful and ex exceptionally safe for your patients. So um, the, the option to, to not doing this is to do nothing. And that's not an option. And if people want to find out more about you, how could they do it? So um, my own website, um, profjohnnolan.com. And also I'm the chair of the Bond Network. I know you've attended the Bond meeting yourself, Kerry, in, in Cambridge down in college. Um, I'd like to um, say, yeah, so we have a Bond Network, which is basically, you know, nearly 200 scientists that have an interest in this space that all kind of contribute to this network and we'll be running our conference. But the best source to go to is profjohnnolan.com. And if I may, I'd like to um, acknowledge, you know, the European Research Council for funding our research, but also remarkably the, the work from the Howard Foundation UK, 
Um, unfortunately, last year we lost our good friend Alan Howard. He passed away. Um, but the foundation continues to go from strength to strength and support independent research like ours. So I'd like to thank the Howard Foundation, um, John Howard, Julie Howard, and all our, our stakeholders, all our sponsors, Industrial Organica as well, the, this wonderful organization from Mexico that provide these quality nutrients. Um, and um, so that's it, yeah. So again, I want to thank Dr. John Nolan. This is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes, and I'm wishing everybody just great health. Thank you until next time. Press boy feet. I have no idea how to say that. Press biopia? Presbyopia might be the ability to see Presbyterians. There are people who are afraid of the press. I have no idea what it is, honestly. Presbyopia. A condition in which the eye loses its ability to focus. Making it hard to see objects up close. I've heard the bifocal, but not right, multifocal. I have never heard of multifocal contact lenses, no. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.